hoki mai ki ngā whenua tapu o te ngāhere tawhito ki reira e ohākina te huia mō te āke āke āmine Tēnā rā koutou katoa, uh, no mai haere mai uh, e te whanau. Welcome again to the Who You Come Home podcast and this week we've got the fantastic, I always say fantastic, Mr Greg Burson, uh, the, uh, w- one of the lead ministers at the Church of Edge Kingsland up in Tamaki Makoto in Auckland. Um, it's, it's fantastic to have some time with Greg Greg, I've known Greg for, oh gosh, a very long time, 18 years maybe, um, and he has been both a friend and a leader in my life, a voice into my life, a voice into my wife's life, a voice into my kid's life. Greg um, Greg has a, a wiring and a gifting and a ministry that nobody else has that I know of. Um, Greg walks into rooms and sees things. Greg hears things. He knows things. And most of what he sees and hears, he keeps to himself. <laughs> uh, something that you learn uh, over time of becoming a minister. Oh, there goes the fly spray going off. You probably hear that in the background. But yeah, Greg Greg has a unique skill set, uh, a, a, an incredible prophetic uh, gifting that he operates in. And encourages people all over the world, all over the world, by helping people see uh, where God is in, in, in people's lives, and that is He's closer than we ever thought. Um, so yes, um, but by before we go any further, I just want to introduce Aaron. Kia ora, Aaron. Kia ora. Uh, Aaron and I are going to be listening uh, through this podcast, and we're going to be throwing comments. Um, in and out, helping to maybe bring some clarity to what we feel and what we think Greg is trying to say. This podcast, of course, is it, it, it's a very deep one. Um, there's some real big, both theological, philosophical concepts that, that Greg uh, talks about as we go through this podcast. So Aaron and I thought the cool thing would be just to jump in and say a few comments. Uh, but by one way of starting off those, um, starting this off is just giving you a very quick rundown of maybe some some glossary terms that um, that Greg might talk about. Uh, terms like Imago Day. Aaron, what's Imago Day? I think that's being created in the image of God. Is the image of God within us? That's that right. right. Yes. Okay. The image Bing, of God. Bing, 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 yes. Uh, another word Greg u- Greg uses is numinous. 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 Yes. So very Rob Bellish. Very Rob Bellish, yes. Which means, means. Uh, well, we get the word pneumonology from it, which is Numbers? where we get. No. No. no oh, that's sorry. numerology. Okay, but sorry. pneumonology is spirituality. Oh. Numinous is another way to talk about spirituality and spiritual so, okay. things. So you could just say spiritual? You could. You could okay. say spiritual. Um, okay. You could say spirituality. Uh, Another word uh, that why this is probably one of the big words we want to put out there in, in terms of glossary is that Greg uses the term clairvoyant. Of course, uh, ministering with Greg for a long time now, um, I, I'm totally at ease with that term. Um, but if, if you are listening to this podcast and you have never heard that term or you've only heard that term in the context of 
horoscopes, witchy poo, whatever, don't freak out. The term clairvoyant very simply means to see clearly. Yep. Uh, to to be able to see. To be able to see things clearly in the spirit. In the spirit, yes. Mm, discernment. So, so Greg uses that in the term of a gifting that all of us, to some degree, have the capacity to be clairvoyant, to see clearly, to be able to discern. Um, and of course, another couple of terms: orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Orthopraxy sounds like orthodoxy to do with your ideas, doctrines, whatever it is, what you believe, Orth- systems. Is orthopraxy, orthopraxy like pra- is practicing the orthodoxy. Practicing Woo! the orthodoxy, being a practitioner of your belief systems. So, so orthodoxy means kind of the system of what you believe. Is that right? Ortho what? Orthodoxy is like yeah. what you believe, kind yes. of like the, the, yes. the package of what you believe. And orthopraxy is kind of how you practice what you believe. Yes, how you practice. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, he uses a term coming up called perennial philosophy. Perennial. Your perennial, perennial, like, basically. Then he says, like, it's like, can uh, I guess? Yes. Because I'm just thinking there's a gardener, perennial and annual flowers. Okay. Like, so what does perennial flowers mean? Well, I think that means like that's a seed that keeps on like year after yes. year it keeps on going. Whereas yes. annual you have to replant it. Oh, boy. Woohoo! So perennial. So what? How does he use that it? It means well, per- sort of perennial philosophy means like an ongoing tradition, okay. a perpetual tradition, okay. an ongoing way of thinking. That's nice. Um, he uses the term university. <laughs> I can't find it in the dictionary. <laughs> but he does claim that he found it yeah. in the dictionary. Uh, what do you think it means? University? I think it just means university. You know, you're, or you're, unicorns. The university, the the Univocity. the oneness, the like the um like the, big the universal of the the one, oneness. That's okay. the, uh, another or term. Unicorn. Another term he uses is um, hypostasis. Hypostasis. Is that a disease? <laughs> hypostasis. <laughs> uh, hypostasis. Hold on. Um, it's hypostasis. It's the. This is gonna be good. Hypostasis is when you are very hyper about <laughs> what you believe. No. Oh, was am I close though? No. Oh. Hypostasis uh, means the one personality of Christ in oh. which His two natures, human and divine, are united. So hypostasis Ooh. is the divine. And the, the immortal and the mortal, the divine and the human coming, coming together. together. So that's what hypostasis means. Okay. Um, another term he uses, which we won't really talk about in this podcast, is it towards the end, as by way of example, he talks about annihilation. Yep. And, uh, annihilation is a doctrine of hell, which uh, talks about how... In, in the afterworld, when people are confronted with God, they are annihilated. So they so don't. Actually, they yeah. don't exist. They're not actually exists. tormented in hell. They yes. actually just go into. So there's three types of hell. There's you see, three types see? of ideas. Of three, hell. three types of ideas of hell. Uh, one is universalism, which is we are we all live forever, whatever. Um, which there are layers within that. One's annihilationism, which means you are annihilated. The other one is the ECT, eternal conscious torment, which is typically your, your typical view of hell so anyway that's a big topic that's another we're several podcast we're not, not going to talk hell. about that but by way of example greg does talk about a not annihilationism so i'll just throw that out there just so you've got heads up cowboy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay whanau um let's get into this again the series series is on atwatanga uh looking at a maori worldview 
um, about spirituality and Christianity. Of course, Greg Fakapapas the Nazi Pharo, and as he talks about, he but but he has been raised in a Pakeha world, so that's that's his framework. But I wanted to, we wanted to interview Greg because of his um, orthopraxy. He how he practices what he believes. How he practices I what know, he believes. Uh, how he practices his spirituality every day and every night, but that's not mentioned in the podcast anyway, because um, he's a dreamer. Um, so here's the fantastic Mr. Greg Burson. All right, here we are with the fantastic Mr. Greg Burson, the uh, chief provocateur, the. Uh, Legend, along with his Wahine Linda, uh, of the founders and co-creators and co-conspirators of the movement that is Hedge Kingsland, and <laughs> he's smiling. <laughs> so, uh, kia ora, Greg. Kia ora, kia ora. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So, ko waikwe, who are you? No hikwe, where are you from? Okay, um, I'm from uh, Auckland. I was born here. Uh, my mother and father have... Um, mixed indigenous roots. My, my father's originally from English stock, uh, and my mother has her indigeneity rooted in Nati Pro. Nati Pro. Oh. And so I have uh, a wonderful mix of those two. Those two things. Those two things. <laughs> Those two things. <laughs> awesome, bro. Awesome. Well, look, we're, we're you know, I, I, I can chat to you on a thousand things because I love your perspective on life. I love your perspective on things to do with church and Christianity. And we're doing a series on, you know, um, Maori spirituality, um, Atua and stuff like this. And so one of the reasons to interview you was to hear from your perspective of you know, ministering in a Pākehā world, and even though you fuck up to Nāti it's sort of, you know, that hasn't been your world. But how, um, I guess the first question really to start off with is, you know, a very simple one, like you've been following Jesus for decades now. How did that, how did, how did that happen? How did you, what were the things that, how did you become a Christian? A follower of Christ, per se. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I grew up in a home where, there wasn't any overt uh, inclination towards the institutional church or faith. Yeah. Uh, even though my mother went to a Sunday school and still has quite a good take on her Bible reference as a kid. Right. Uh, my father grew up in a home where my grand, well, my papa was a deeply spiritual man um, and has his roots in the spiritualist church and the Theosophical Society. Oh, yeah. He was a a widely read and inquisitive human huh. who searched for God all his life. Um, although that didn't equate to us ever attending a church, I think my right. dad went probably went to a spiritualist Sunday school at some stage. Right. So I didn't bump into the idea of church attendance or being a part of a church community till I was 19 when a friend of mine's sister was a part of an, a street outreach team from a local Baptist church on the North Shore 
um, they had a coffee shop in our local <laughs> township. So my friend, you know, one night when we had been uh, playing with some herbs and spices, herbs and spices drugs, <laughs> we went along because there was free food and drink there. Oh, and, um, we walked into a an interesting environment where the people there were overly friendly. Something that I'd never experienced growing up. I was always I always struggled to find friends, um, other than in sports teams. And so this is my first introduction to, you know, an environment that really thrived on, you know, um, making you feel special. Yeah. You know. Right. So my my introduction to church or Christianity was not based on some deep-rooted need for forgiveness or eternal salvation. It was just a deep need for love and acceptance and um, yeah. and, and friendship that I <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah. have to fight for yeah. or work hard for. Yeah. Um, so I started attending at 19 and within six months I was pretty much entrenched in every facet and aspect of the church. Yeah, what? By, by what age? By, from, was, pretty um, much from 19 on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, within, within a year we were, you know, I was leading that team. If you could, um, you know, I, I, I don't want you to answer like right now as far as what you think of spirituality, say right now. But if you go back to when you're 19 and you think of the type of, say, church and Christian context you were, so you came to faith in, like how would you have described or how would you describe spirituality back then? And what and you know what was the experience of that? Um, I think uh, spirit and matter um, was a very dualistic environment that I came into so spirit and matter were obviously quite separated you know right. heaven was up there and earth was down here um, you know we as physical beings unless we had some kind of awareness of Jesus or faith we were considered to not be spiritual right. or very very unspiritual, spiritually dead were the terms they used. Right, and okay. so coming to faith, they sort of said, well, now that you're a Christian, you're born again, those two things can start to work together. Okay. And, and how was that, like, what was the introduction, say, of that to you? Like, what did you experience? Um, it was very elitist. Uh, so now that I was a Christian, I was in, <laughs> and before I was out. Right. Uh, and so I'm a part of the the favoured few who have found Christ. Right. Um, right. Which which I later came to realise that I actually didn't find Christ, but the Christ mystery found me. Okay. Okay. You know, and awakened, rather than me finding something. I've actually come to latterly believe that something awakened in me that maybe was already at work in me. I was just unaware of it. Um, 
you know, I've premised this podcast with basically talking you up. You know, you're ten feet tall and shoot lightning bolts out your ass and stuff like this. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, nah, don't need to edit that one. <laughs> no, but, but you know, you are you're a you're a phenomenal Christian leader. You have uh, you, you you have a gifting. You you have a skill set, a gifting set that. Um, is a is a is a rarity to re- really from what, what we've seen. In other words, you know the the understanding of what we might call the prophetic or being a seer, seeing things. Um, you know, it's something that you know from an outsider's perspective, Mike can say becomes very has come very natural to you. Um, but I guess my question is: Has it has that always been natural to you, or has it? something that has that has grown or did you just all of a sudden go you started to see things or um or is that has that world which i've framed in in another talk called the excluded middle you know this realm of um where we as westerners we just get rid of it but it's been something that from what it seems it's it's like from day one you've you've been there but describe that process okay I mean, I think, I think what I'm really grateful for in the early days of coming into church was it did start a conversation in me that wasn't present prior. Okay. So we started to talk about spirituality and what it means to be a spiritual being, albeit in a very dualistic, dualistic. kind of way. Um, uh, but it did start a conversation about what it what it means to be a, a spiritual being, so much um, not so much have a spirit, uh, which is what I was taught in the early days, but to be that I that I've always been a spiritual being, right. and yet it it had never found its sense of clarity in the old paradigm of life that I was living. So what the church did was it sort of awakened me to the idea of my spirituality as a deep-seated part of my Imago Dei, my God-imaged self. Uh, And so what it did was it started to connect me to the idea that there's a giftedness in all of us and a a spiritual lean in all of us that is unique and, and, and genuine and and I think it was a natural part of who I was because it's been a natural part of my family heritage. The the the, the numinous, the the numinous, uh, the numinous. You know the, uh, the the that part of us that has a supernatural um, awareness, um, a, a psychic ability, uh, a clairvoyance, so to speak. Yeah, you know, okay. right. an ability to see right. stuff beyond just what we see with our natural senses. Right. I think it's in all of us. For me, when I started going to church, it opened that conversation up in me, and I started to experience an awakening in my life that I think has been a part of my indigenous heritage. Right, wow. Through my mother's family line, through my grandfather's family line. um, I think there was... prophetic leanings in my family generations that the church afforded me permission to start asking questions about. Uh, Back then the questions are different to what they are now 
um, the question back then was, oh, now that you are a Christian, you have received the ability to do this, versus now I would say, no, I always had the ability to do it, but the, the Christian language or the Christian faith was the doorway that I came through to open my, in, yeah, right. my internality right. up to the possibility of something more. Wow. So, you know, I, I used the term before, you know, like the, the roaring 80s and the roaring 90s. You know, and we've, we've come to a time in church history where we have actually seen what we would call Pentecostalism become a denomination, you know. Yeah. Like, like where it's, it's, it's become, you know, almost has been. You know, how would, like, what's your journey been like going through an era where, you know, look out, there's a demon and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, to, let's just say, hyper-Pentecostalism, hyper-spirituality, um, you know, that, let's just say, is dual, dualistic. How have, you, how have you journeyed out of that way of being? Um, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm still journeying out of it. I think the thing that I'm grateful for with the church that I, you know, started to find my way into an understanding of God was that it was a, it was a Baptist church that had a charismatic or a Pentecostal leaning and the, that gave the advantage of having something solid in the orthodoxy and something quite interesting in the orthopraxy. Okay. Um, the, the experience of spiritual phenomena um, as it pertained to the spiritual gifts, which were a big part of how Pentecostalism um, you know, gained you know, traction in, yeah. in, in the, the Western church, you know, it introduced us to some kind of ecstatic experience of God. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think for me, um, it was very separate. It was kind of like that idea that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and does that. And, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, that's all there is. Right. And while I believe that there is, a, there is more to me than my own spirituality and that combined with the body and other numinous experience, um, you know, supernatural numinous. moments, um, you know, I, uh, I, I get the full package. But back then it was very, very much structured around an elite experience that only a certain few could have. Okay. Um, so now... Okay, I think this is a great place to stop um, for and, and, and pause for a little moment here. I think what Greg is articulating about our Christian experience as it was and what it is and what it's becoming is really reading, reading well with times. And that is we're moving out of a way of thinking and a way of being that has been unhelpful, particularly around our understanding of being humans slash that are spiritual humans that are spiritual so um erin do you want to make a comment here yeah the problem is i've got way too many comments <laughs> because it triggers all sorts of thoughts and yeah. ideas and bigger probably bigger yeah. questions that i have right. um but part of what really jumps out to me and maybe it's from my own experiences in 
for my own life where I am a bit of a seer, I've always been a bit of a dreamer. I've always had these spiritual experiences even outside of the church. And I, my own journey of trying to figure out how, how does this fit with my Christian faith and and is it is it okay? Like probably I've just been scared. Right. Um, like if I'm honest, growing up, there was times I was scared of like, oh, I'm seeing things or feeling things or dreaming things. Is this okay? Like, is this God? Because I'm not at church right now. Right. Do you know? Like, or, or, um, yeah. Like, I rem, yeah. I I remember being afraid as a kid that I was um, a psychic, and like freaked out. Like, oh, I don't want to be a psychic because that. Like, I mean, I don't. Because that's the word itself has got a negative connotation. Yeah, but but at the same time, I would actually kind of sometimes know things about people. Right. And that would freak me out right. because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be involved in spirits that were unhealthy or evil right. or demons, but yet I kind of was seeing things and knowing things sometimes. Right. Um, and so this kind of, this conversation is really interesting to me. Um, I, what he's saying right now. I, I like how Greg mentioned that it was his experience by coming into church that it actually, uh, well, awoken something in him, but then that, that which was awoken was very, very limited. Yeah, well, he, what is he, he says, elite, he uses the word elite. Right. Which, I mean, he doesn't say this all, but in my mind, I'm th- my own experiences again thinking, yeah, unless these spiritual things happen in a church service with people praying in a certain way, then that's what, that's what spiritual right. is. Yeah. And then everything outside of that somehow either isn't spiritual or is bad. Or it's bad, yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, Greg's not saying that, but it's triggering that off in me for my own experiences. Right. Or maybe he's. Well, I think that. he is saying that. He is maybe that. Yeah. saying that. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think it's really helpful because it's helping us to move out of a framework that is, you, you know, our Christianity has been framed with certain languages and certain barriers, but we are in that period where we are moving out of that. Box, yeah, but I'm, we're out moving out of the box, which is great. But then I think I'm also, there's a little nervousness of going, yeah, but I've bumped into spiritual stuff that is dark and it is scary. And I don't want to um, just throw everything out of a box and, and go, right. every, like, oh, okay. that all spiritually is all just, <laughs> oh, this is all just okay. okay. Because I, because I don't want to be like seeing demons either. So, but there you go. We could digress very we'll, we'll Let's get back to great. Okay. And let's get back to Greek. My my lean is, you know, while I'm grateful for the Pentecostal experience, my lean is much more to a more mystical way of understanding spirituality, which is yeah, explain that. a deep-seated union with God. The mystics uh, believe that, believed in the idea that that at some level all all of humanity is is connected to God, not just as image bearers, but as also as um, and, and that sustained and enabled by right. that spiritual uh, uh, mystical right. union. Right. Um, and so what the mystics do is they say that the goal of our spirituality is to become more one. With the great spirit, right. or, or or God, right, um, and to lean lean into um, a more non-dual way of understanding your spirituality. That, like the Greeks would say, you know, I have a body and I have a soul and I have a spirit. Whereas the mystics would say, 
know, you are a living soul that is a fusion of spirit and yeah, matter right, right, that, that, right. that came together and have always right. been together. You know, when, when Christianity introduced me to the idea of redemption and, and salvation, I saw it as kind of an evacuation plan, an evacuation um, guarantee that when I die, I would be saved and I wouldn't go to hell. Right. Um, but that, <laughs> it didn't help me to understand what it meant to live now. Yes. And so uh, just studying the mystics and reading who, some of who, who would some of those be? Who are some of the mystics? Um, probably more recently, the one that I would read a lot would be Richard Rohr. Um, you know, I think people like St. Francis and Claire, uh, Meister Eckhart, uh, just to name a few, okay, yeah, cool. uh, have been phenomenal voices. Thomas Merton, of course, is probably credited with really awakening the whole contemplative side of um, mysticism. Yeah, right. right. Know, back in the 60s, I think. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not foreign to indigenous cultures. Right. Um, indigenous cultures have always believed... Um, that we are every human, every all of life is in union right. with spirit and union with God. Right. Um, and what religion does is just give us an an, um, an excuse to talk about what that union means. Okay. You know, whether okay. it's Catholic, Orthodox, okay. um, Protestant. Um, um, or any other religious idea, you know. Um, I love the idea of the, the perennial philosophy that believes at the, at the deep heart of all religious orientation is, is a belief in the betterment of humanity as it becomes more one as humans, or all things become more one with God. Hence the John 17 prayer, you know. I pray that they right. would be one as yes. we are one. So we're union, univocity, yeah, okay. oneness, you know. Oh, man. Numinous, univocity? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're Folks. just... I read the dictionary. Glossary on, verse. On day off, good on glossary my, verse. On my day off, I read the dictionary, you know. <laughs> so, you know, let, let, I'm just thinking now of some of David's psalms. You mm. know, the heavens declare the glory of your name or whatever. It's psalm 19. I'm thinking of Psalm 103 where... David talks about, you, you know, praise him, you mighty ones who do his bidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about Hebrews 1.14, you know, God, you know, you know, sends his flaming servants to serve those, you know, yeah. who inherit salvation. I'm thinking about Ephesians 6 and St. Paul, you know, you know, writing about, you know, you know, he uses the, the metaphor of warfare, you know, we... we, mm. we you know, we, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. So the Bible has a, the, the Bible actually has a cosmology that to us Westerners, we kind of don't really know about. Like how, uh, this is a very big question, of, you know, but ha, like how would you describe, you can't, you, I know you have been doing it, but how do you describe biblical cosmology? Oh, <laughs> mate. Such an easy, such an easy question. <laughs> I mean, it's such a big one. I think we 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 take our Western um, enlightened reason minds to the text, okay. versus listening to the spirit of the text, which you know comes out of a very indigenous worldview. 
okay. the indigenous Hebrew worldview of, of David and a lot of the Old Testament writings, um, I would like to suggest is a lot different to the way in which we have read it. Okay. You know, and and we've and I think latterly with the with the Greek uh, worldview, which you know shape that shapes the language of the New Testament. You know, right. barring a few Aramaic words. Right. I mean, it the the, the worldviews were quite different, and it and I think that's because in our journey of faith, we have to you know be honest about the the worldview and the paradigm that we live in, but we have to listen to the to the text. We have to listen to the indigeneity of guys like David, right. you know. And again, we read it. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, when we go, we immediately think heaven as a geographical location, right. Right. rather than him talking about this idea that that we are carried and sustained and float in the cosmos this little piece of terra firma sits in the gravitational pull of the of the planets floating in the heavens surrounded sustained um provided for by the idea of something more than ourselves right that's why um matthew uses Heaven as a in gospel uses heaven as a metaphor for God. Uh, oh, okay. You know, instead of saying kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God, like the other gospels, he uses kingdom of heaven. Okay, okay. Partly because of the audience that he's speaking to, you know, the Jewish audience, but it also is the idea that heaven is not. We often, as Westerners, see heaven as a place, which I'm not suggesting is a bad thing. I just think that it's a, a limited way of thinking about heaven right right you know i think heaven binary like yeah i mean i think we just we 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 think very geographically about god and geographically about time and space um so heaven is up and hell is down and we're stuck in between in this roaring battle between the two whereas i don't i don't know if there's a battle between those two as much as there's a battle that goes on inside of us and between us. Right. You know, if you, right. you know, would that battle continue, I was thinking about it today, would that battle continue if all, all of humanity was removed from the earth? Would there still be a battle going on? Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, what, what, would, what would be the fight? What would the fight be over? It sounds like a Ridley Scott plot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know um, the alien within, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> bursting out every now and again to devour everybody else. It's, you know, it's quite, um, yeah, the subterfuge of it all is quite powerful. So. All right, Aaron, let's just jump back in here. Let's make a few comments here. What are you thinking? Well, I like how Greg is, he's helping to flesh out what he said before about spiritual elitism versus um, a spirituality that is bigger than ourselves and bigger than just maybe our church services or even our understanding of Christianity. So the whole idea of kingdom of heaven that Matthew uses, not just being a substitute for kingdom of God for his audience, I mean, being that, but also there's a bit more going on there, isn't there? Right, right. You know? Yeah, and yeah. so I'm all go, ooh, yeah. I want to I wanna think about that one. Yeah, yeah. 
What about the um, thought where he talks about the war, war within, and you know, because when we talk about spirituality and spiritual right. beings and this sort of thing, then we, you know, we we jump to this paradigm of cosmic battle, angels versus demons, Frank Peretti style yeah, yeah. stories, you know, um, exorcisms, which are real and all true, of course, to a degree, but we've become overshadowed by all this way of thinking, and therefore yeah. either. We jump into craziness, or we just run a thousand miles from it and don't even. Well, isn't touch it all? Anything to it's, do with it's, it's always sort of our tendency to always. It's the enemy is always outside of ourselves, right? right? Like we always think that something. So, like even more so, I see those like, oh, out, ouch. Right. Like the war is. It's true. There is, what's you know, the spiritual battle, is definitely within me. I'm not saying it's not without me as well. Right. But we kind of, we tend to kind of swing it to look at what's thought, outside if there, if, of me. If, if, if humans here will there still be a battle going on yeah it's a really good question i like that question i like that question i think that draws home to me really the potency of ephesians where you know the famous spiritual warfare or whatever scripture of ephesians 6 like the battle the... you know we wrestle not with oh, yeah. flesh and blood but powers and principalities um where it actually premises the whole thing by talking about the relationship of husband and wife oh, yeah. true it's like mum and dad dad and the kids family relationships you know uh, slaves and masters or bosses and work you know employees or in other words it's talking about our, our everyday relationship is is framed within human relationships in our homes in our hearts in our homes it's in our hearts it's in our workplace so it's super I practical th- I, 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 I think the war is a lot closer to home, even though Paul's really clearly says it's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes these things, you know, have this element to it, but it's also it's played out in flesh and blood. Yeah, well, well, it not sometimes have. I mean, right. with the, that's very kind of we think some. It's not just sometimes has that element. If we are spirit, then it's always going to have that element to it, isn't it? Going to be some sort of spiritual stuff yeah, going yes. on in every relationship, in every relationship. And not as like an exception like how we say "Ooh, that might be spiritual warfare going well actually there's this, always something there's always a spiritual aspect yeah, of yeah. every interaction of every relationship there always is yeah, yeah. that's not the exception that's just how it is that's how it actually is back to glb back to Greg what's helped like you know what's helped you then you know because let's just say you know a long time ago, we, we we read the Bible, we'd read these scriptures in a very binary, dualistic way. <laughs> like, what has actually helped you try to find the unity of all things in how you read um, the I just, scriptures? For, I mean, the scriptures for me are sacred. They're our sacred texts. They're, they're the storyline that I was introduced to I wasn't I don't read the Quran because that's not, it's not my natural spiritual language because right. it's, it's not where I, I, I start I, mean, I live in New Zealand so my first language is English right. and that's what I learned if I lived in China it would be Chinese and if right. I was if I lived in the Middle East in certain parts of the Middle East the, the Quran would probably be my sacred text but but the Bible is right. so um, you know for me in approaching that text I think in the early stages of my faith I approached it from a very Western 
um, in a very Western, literal kind of way. I think so literalism, which right, okay. the mystics would say is the lowest level of meaning. Okay. So right. I approach it from a very literal perspective, but latterly, I, as I have begun to embrace the poet in me, or the mystic in me, or the prophet in me, I tend to start by coming to the text from a more literate view, or literarily. Right, okay. You know, and okay. so uh, and so you have this, this, this beautiful idea of the, the, the literary beauty of the text, and when you come at it from that, it gives you some, it gives you some room to be a little bit more lateral in how you um, interpret some of the text. Right. You know, um, and the the literal interpretation that we have of the text is is based on, you know, a very limited um, view of the cosmos. Right. Uh, a classic example is, is the argument over Genesis 1. Is it six literal days? Right. Um, right. But, you know, most scholars, you know, who've studied that see Genesis as poetry. Right. And they go, so you, you can't... Create literature. You can't exegete poetry. Um, well, you can exegete it, but you can't... Well, you can't exegete it literally. Right, yes. You've, you've, got, yes. To, you've got to let metaphor and... And symbolism and the ambiguity of the text—you've got to—you've got to give it room to breathe, yeah. or else you end yeah. up getting stuck. And when you fight over the sacredness of the Bible from a literal perspective, you—you you become more and more Protestant, and you end up divided. Pro Protestant. Oh, Protestant. Well, I was going to say, I was like, oh, what emphasis do you put on the? Well, that's where we get out. That's where. Like that's that's the, also the tradition I came through. I'm, I'm not Catholic. I'm, I'm Protestant. But the reason we have that name is because we are we protested um, the the confines right. of Roman Catholicism, and the irony of it now is that we're more divided. We divided away, but we've become a very divided um, religious. Um, arm of the original story so right. we have more denominations than anyone else and it's because of our literalism and bloody mindedness over refusing to be flexible yeah. or refusing to sit in corridor around yeah. stuff you know and it's interesting because that's what the indigenous people yeah. did that's what Jesus did he didn't sit <laughs> and say this is the word of the Lord about or you're in trouble he said let's talk about it. he told them stories and he purposefully um, and dare I say this confuse them right in order to bring out right. the inquiry and right. the question right. and the, right. you know? right. but we don't do that with the Bible we right. say well the Bible says this so that's so what it says but it only we says don't that, draw out the inquiry no no and yeah. we don't we don't ask questions of the text yeah. we're not allowed to question it you know we we, we we're afraid to let it be a living text rather we want it to be a static list of doctrines that tell us what's right and wrong yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think that's what it's designed for you know it's like um what did someone say recently um, words like um, uh, um, infallible and inerrant are words you use when you're afraid of letting the text um, say something different to you than you are comfortable with 
<laughs> you know? Yes, far so, out. That's, yeah. You, we'll all go to the movies or we'll all read a book Gosh. and we'll, there'll, there'll be something in that movie that will speak to us, to all of us differently. Right, right. All right. Um, even though the plot, when you actually sit down and realistically look at the plot, the plot is the same, but we all feel something different. And, and that's why people have become fixated with the way in which we've used the Bible um, to trounce the journey of spirituality in people. We've used yeah. the Bible to try and shape a person's spirituality, which, I, you know, at one, one level's not bad. But, you know... What do you... What, what does, like, from your perspective, what does the Bible say about spiritual beings? Well, I mean, it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, I, like I put it this way: I know you know everything that's written down. I like I know you know what the school of thought is saying from studying Greek words and all this sort of stuff. You know, and yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. looking at Ephesians, looking at Galatians, looking at some of Christ's stuff. Like so, I like I know you know, um, <clears throat> but taking into account what you might know from studying scriptures you know over the past couple of decades to what we're talking about now yeah what do you think it says <clears throat> wow I, I think for me what stops me from getting bored or disappointed <laughs> in what it doesn't say is the redemptive hermeneutic that I think hides in the text okay you know um that we, we, we tend to trounce by taking verses and using them as a weapon to deny people the right to ask questions about cultural things that are forming all around us, right. what I call the evolution of culture. Right. You know, we, you know, if it wasn't for the Christians who originally justified slavery, you know, by using Bible verses, we we wouldn't have had other Christians rise up and denounce slavery by using the scriptures. Right. So you 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 know you can right. you can come either way at it, you know, right. and it's like, you know, right. the recent schools of thoughts around, you know, same sex um, orientation, you know, right. we can find verses to justify our pounding right. of people's minds, but right. it's not redemptive. Right, right. You know, it's... It's antagonistic. Well, it's, you know, it's destructive, right. and, it's, and, it, and it's cruel, and I don't think the text was written as a, 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 a moral a piece of law to keep humans in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. because, you know... So draw, drawing it back to spiritual... Yeah. Spiritual beings, what yeah. would you say? I, you know, I think that is the, the challenge of um, what I would call the hypostasis of the scriptures, which is, you know, this idea that the incarnation of the Christ mystery in the person of Jesus is this hypostasis, this coming together of um, God and man, um, uh, the divine or the, the immortal and the mortal coming together right, right. in a person to remind us again. Not just to, to 
to rescue us from hell and get us to heaven. Right. But it's actually this beautiful idea of God doing it on numerous occasions, by the way, through the text. Um, but coming in the person of, of Jesus, this Christ mystery, this hypostasis, and going, um, this is who you are. Right. You have right. always been human and you have right. always been divine. Okay. There is something immortal in okay. you that um, cannot be denied and, and cannot be destroyed, which I realize now that I'm probably stepping on the toes of some um, annihilationists right. by saying that that cannot be destroyed. But in, <laughs> right, right. most indigenous <laughs> cultures believe that there is something immortal in all of humans that right. can never be destroyed right. because it, it comes from God and it is God. Right. And so yeah. that's why I tend to be lean away from that, not to try and disabuse my annihilationist friends, right. but to just say, wait a second, you know, we are not just mortal creatures. We are yeah. made in the image of God. We are God brief. We are spiritual beings, beings um, that when breath and dust come together, yeah. everything is spiritual, not just going to church, everything that right. we do is spiritual in some form. So how do you, like, you know, how do you relate, how, how would you describe your relationship as a spiritual human with spiritual non-human things? Like, how, how do you, like, do you have a relationship? Um, that yeah, you well, not with, with non-spiritual, with spiritual entities that are non yeah, I mean, well, if you if you believe that all of all 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 of life and all things are spirit infused, okay, there is to, for me a prob. I have a problem with the idea that there is such a thing as an inanimate thing, yeah. like a rock or a tree. Right. I I believe everything is God breathed, right. and so my relationship with it is quite. Um, I'm still growing in it, yeah, you know. Okay. How do I, yeah, cool. how do I experience relationship with the big book versus the little book? I think we've, we've animated the scriptures. We've practiced a kind of, um, uh, um, a written animism. Um, we, we've we've animated the text, um, yet yet we're afraid of, the animism, the relationship yeah, okay. with the animism that we have with creation. Yeah, okay. You know and. <coughs> And I think that's, that's why the original idea of the Genesis writer was putting humans in a garden, was because that's, that's how they would understand their relationship with God. And then God walking in the garden right. suggests not that some, some creature from outer space, some thing came and actually walked. That, that, that sense of the walking of God in the garden is the idea of God in everything, and God speaking to us through everything, and mm, always yeah, yeah. walking in our garden, yeah, yeah, right. and being leaving the garden is is not so much a, a a penalty because we ate a piece of fruit. It was, you know, a challenge for us to grow up as humans and yeah. and and own this and expand the world with this idea that God is always walking in our garden. Yeah, okay. Oh, you know. Very nice.
Okay, Brent. Well, well, one final one final question, and that is, what would you say to a what would you say to us, to a generation of New Zealanders that are uh, growing up here? What would you say to us that um, what would you want to champion us in as far as being spiritual human beings here in New Zealand? Because what would you want to say to us? Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean there's, 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 there's so much you could say to that. I mean, I mean, I could say something as simple, be, be kind. <laughs> You know, um, be kind to one another. Be be aware of the the beauty and the um, the idea of God hiding and in in the soil of 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 everybody. Right. You know, this beautiful treasure right. hidden in every field. Right. And help up, help be kind to people, help them become aware of that, help them to awaken it or right. dig it up. Right. You know, you know, I think that's what yeah. going into yeah. the world and making disciples of what Jesus said is not about getting people to tick the Christian card. I think it's about us helping people to live fully alive. Right. You know, as the great Saint Irenaeus said, you know, yeah. help people to live fully alive. And and help them to see the value of your sacrament and your ritual in your face. You know why is it important to you? Because it it helps keep that conversation alive inside of me. Wow. It's not about going to church or, or you know doing your religious duty. It's about finding people that want to keep that conversation going. Wow. You know. Wow. New Zealand is probably, Aotearoa New Zealand is probably one of the most beautiful countries in the world, but it struggles in its own skin. It's uncomfortable in its own skin. It's, I think, with the demise of religious affiliation in an institutional form, it's gone, it's gone through a massive existential crisis um, in this new millennium. And it needed to in order to deconstruct some of the stuff that was forced on us um, by way of our heritage. And that when our forebears came to this country, they ignored the, the beauty of the cosmology and the spirituality that was already alive and thriving in the soil of this place. And say, oh, you know, what about all the negative stuff? What about all the bad stuff? You know, the cannibalism or, or that sort of stuff. Look, w- w- the West has cannibalized <laughs> itself to death with, uh, with consumerism and, um, and um, the pursuit of, um, you know, hedonistic narciss- and narcissistic um, self-aggrandizement, you know. So we had a beautiful opportunity to come to this nation and find what was hiding in the soil and we we overlaid it with a tradition that 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 kind of killed something and now we're at that point i think in the history of Aotearoa where we have a beautiful opportunity to encourage the next generation to to live in the resurrection to live 
and, and a resurrected faith. What can be resurrected out of the dust of the old way of being? So that would be my my prayer for this for this nation. Resurrection Could is is the is the answer I think to um, the death knell that rings around us. Wow. So. Peace and love. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, that is awesome. Thanks, bro. I could have sat here for hours and talked to you. It was easy. (laughs) Wow, that was great. Thanks heaps, bro. Um, Aaron, what do you think, man? What do you want to say? I like closing this, wrapping this up. I think Greg right there at the end too. That's that's not just kind of Greg idea and Greg opinion or, yeah, that's not just Greg Burson speaking at the end. I kind of you know I went ooh we're getting into something that's a little bit more um, I you know I think that that's what God's speaking over this nation the whole thing about resurrection and what do you identity. think he's resurrecting? I think I think identity. You know, I really, you know, I'm American, so I see it. I, I see that sort of thing that Greg's talking about of New Zealand not being comfortable in its own skin, which I find kind of crazy because it's such an incredible because country. Because we boast we are. Yeah, but you, wire, but you. But you can. Know, yeah, but you can kind of feel it. I oh, I feel it. You know, I feel like why, why, why not as comfortable as I would think. Could be, but but I think that's maybe just the process of history. What's been going on, yeah, and that's just ne- that's he- in some ways healthy. It's a, it's um, it's humble, but but I like what. So when Greg started, I, I kind of I find myself kind of leaning in a little bit more towards the end here, going, ooh, I think, um, it's kind of worth paying attention here. The last bit, of what he's saying. I think you know, Greg, he didn't really really ask answer my questions. No spiritual <laughs> beings and stuff like that, uh, which. Uh, like Cheeky. I know that he's got a thousand things and experience. He didn't use them. He didn't say he didn't say anything about angels. At the same time, <laughs> I like what he's doing with our big picture thinking about these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's breaking the wall down between, in a way, our spirituality has propagated Christianity, the kingdom of Christianity, but it hasn't propagated humanity. Mm. It hasn't propagated. Or maybe the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom maybe, of heaven. Maybe it's been more about the kingdom of Christianity well rather than kingdom of heaven. Humans, the living whole is humans. And what I love about what I believe he's prophesying is he's speaking to that level of humanity that exists in this soil of Aotearoa mm. that is given expression in Tao Māori, mm. given expression in the Māori world that doesn't dichotomize, doesn't dualize flesh yeah. uh, or matter and spirituality, flesh and spirit. But lives holistically in unison as one, and I, I I love that here in New Zealand, if if Westerners can apply the critical thinking that Greg has applied to himself, to his Christianity, to his practice of church, mm-hmm. then I think as New Zealanders we will do well. We will resurrect. We will resurrect mm-hmm. if we are enable ourselves and apply ourselves to. To um, die. <laughs> well, because, I mean, to you die. do you before know, you resurrect. Think, you know, and, and, and Greg's conversing has come out, you know, you know, you and I and Greg and Linda and, and the other elders at, at Edge, we've been in this discussion for years. And, you know, I know a couple of years ago, Greg gave a sermon that was talked about how we're going into exile. Mm. 
Yeah. But my interpretation of a sermon is that the West is going into exile, whereas the indigenous or the Te Māori is coming into exodus. Yeah. You know, in other words, and, and at, the, at the time where Western ways of thinking, Western dualism I think, needs to die and is going into exile, yeah. and those who can't cook aren't prepared to find the questions are actually going to find themselves in a lesser, lower place in a bad sense. Um, those who are integrating a way of thinking that is outside Western philosophical concepts are coming to the forefront, are beginning to find solutions for human problems, environmental problems that I think are helpful. So I think that's what he's talking about when you think he's beginning to get prophetic there. Yeah, and plus, yeah, we're gonna know, we're gonna know God more. Oh, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think you know, we kind of feel. I felt it intuitively for a long time of going, I know God, but I know that, I just there's some things I just don't, can't quite get. You know, yeah. I just can't quite get. But um, no, this is it's been that's been really helpful. Yeah, well, kia ora, Aaron, uh, and kia ora, Greg, and kia ora, listeners. Uh, tune into next week's one. So kia ora.